When I first came to this church, one of the um, things that Paul said that was very inspiring was that the most exciting part of the service is reading the Bible. And so it's really exciting to be able to read this ancient scripture which speaks to all of us. Isaiah 49. Coastlands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. I will be glorified in him. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord and my reward is with God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel may be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it's not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, says to one who is despised, to be abhorred by people, to be to a servant of rulers. Kings will see and stand up, and princes will bow down because the Lord of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. I wrote the first time, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the heavens? This is Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were continually uniting in prayer. Along, them, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During these days, 
Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people who were together were about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first and burst open in the middle, and all his insides spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field is called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, Among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Judas left to go into his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Liz. It's good to see you. My name is Paul, if you haven't met before. There's a few new faces out there. Uh, you've chosen a good night to come. We, we'll kick off a new sermon series tonight on the book of Acts. We'll look at Acts until Easter, then take a break, and then come back to Acts in about May time. On the screen is a picture of, of two men. I wonder whether anybody knows who they are. I wonder who that man on the left is. That man is a man called Richard Johnson. Have I heard of Richard Johnson? Put your hand if you heard of Richard Johnson. A few people. Uh, Richard Johnson was born in Yorkshire in England. He was educated at Oxford University. He was ordained by the Bishop of Oxford. And he was living a nice life as a clergyman in England. And then one day he got on board a ship. A ship full of convicts. And he sailed to a new settlement called New South Wales in this place called Australia. And this man, Richard Johnson, became the first chaplain to New South Wales. He he preached the first sermon here in Sydney on the 3rd of February, 1788. Under a tree, the sermon was on Psalm 16, verse 12. What shall I give to the Lord for all the benefits he's given me? And for the next six years, he single-handedly performed all the clerical duties in the whole of Sydney. Every wedding, every baptism, every funeral. It was every uh, execution of every convict. He prayed with the families. And the governor at that time was so opposed to Christians that he refused to build a church. And so this man, Richard Johnson, with his own money funded the building of the first church here in Sydney. It cost 67 great British pounds. Now let me ask you, what would drive a man to leave a country he loved and the people that he loved and a comfortable life to come to the ends of the earth? 
And the answer is Jesus. Isn't it? He loved Jesus. And he was so persuaded that people needed to hear about Jesus that he came to Australia. And in many ways, we're sitting here today in this church because of people like him who brought the gospel to the ends of the earth. Can anyone guess who the other guy is? Samuel Marsden. Who was that? Samuel Marsden. Who ever heard of him? Samuel Marsden was a farmer's boy. He wasn't well educated at all. But he too was ordained. He was a clergyman in England and he too got onto a boat and he came to this settlement called New South Wales. He was a second chaplain to New South Wales. He followed on from Mr. Johnson. He did most of his ministry in a place called Parramatta. You heard of that? Uh, his tombstone is there at St. John's Cathedral in Parramatta. But he is known actually for a different ministry. He, he befriended what are called the Maoris. Have you heard of them? And they'd come to Australia and he would house them and he would feed them and he'd educate them for up to three years and he'd tell them about Jesus. And when most of us are thinking about our retirement, what was Samuel Marsden doing? He decided to visit the land where the Maoris live, a land that we call New Zealand. And he's attributed with taking the gospel to New Zealand. Again, the same question. What would prompt a man to leave his family, his homeland, and people that he loved to go to a bizarre land called New Zealand? And the answer is Jesus, isn't it? He, he loves Jesus. He is so persuaded that people need to hear that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that Jesus is coming again. You see, we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts, and we've called this sermon series Jesus to the Nations. Now, here are two men who took Jesus to the nations, took Jesus to the ends of the earth. When I think of Jesus and nations, I do think of those guys, and I think of people like Hudson Taylor. Have you heard of him? He took the gospel to China. He dressed like a Chinaman. He learned the language. He learned the culture. And over many, many years, he took Jesus to China. I think of people like Jim Elliot, who, who gave his life preaching Jesus to an unknown people group. I think of the men and women who spent years and years translating the Bible through Wycliffe Bible translators into unknown languages so that men and women could hear about Jesus. But I also think about the people who loved me enough to tell the gospel to me. The ordinary men and the ordinary women who I worked with and who I studied with and who I lived with who actually loved me enough to share Jesus with me. You see, you don't have to be these super Christian heroes to go to these far-flung nations. You and me sitting here tonight can be Jesus to the nations, just with the people that you know, the people that you love, the people that you rub shoulders with, who I won't meet, but you do. And that's our theme for Acts, how if we believe in Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we are persuaded that he really did die, rise, and ascend to the right hand of the Father, we too will have that same heart, that same conviction to take Jesus to the nations. So look at me at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. 
that the word Theophilus means loved by God. I wrote the first narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he'd given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. And do you know who the I is in verse 1? Who's writing Acts? Someone know? Luke. So I wrote the first narrative. The first narrative is what we call Luke's Gospel. This is Luke volume 2 if you want. In many ways, it would be great if John's gospel was not placed where it was in our Bibles. It would be great if you had John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then Acts, because Acts is just Luke volume 2. In the gospel of Luke, we hear about all that Jesus began to do and teach. If you read Luke's gospel, you have an orderly eyewitness account of Jesus' birth, his teaching, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And that's where Luke ends with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But just because Jesus has left the earth doesn't mean the ministry stops, does it? There's work to be done. And Luke volume 2, which we call Acts, is all about the, the work of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit through his people. You see, Jesus is gone. The spirit has come. Jesus is going to return someday and there's still work to be done and that's what we're involved in, isn't it? It's called gospel work. I've got two simple points tonight. Here's the first point. God's mission is Jesus to the nations. The heartbeat of God is that Jesus goes to all people of all nations Every man, every woman, every boy and every girl. That's always been a heartbeat of God. You know, Genesis chapter 12, when he met Abraham, he said through Abraham, through you all nations will be blessed. Uh, Lynn read so well from Isaiah 49. Well, he looks at his servant and says, it's not enough that you, you save the tribes of, of Judah. I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And again, if you know your Bibles, Revelation chapter 5, around the throne in heaven. Who's around the throne on that last day? People from every tribe, every nation, and every language praising Jesus together. That's the heartbeat of God. He's not limited by a little church and a little town and a holy huddle. He's not concerned about race or religion or wealth or health or age. He's concerned about everybody. Look at verse 3. After Jesus had suffered, he also presented himself alive to, to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the risen Lord Jesus walks with his disciples for 40 days and they got to hear about the kingdom of God. And verse 4, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, to stay here and to wait what are they waiting for in verse 4? Well, he tells you in verse 4, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So wait for Pentecost. Wait for the Spirit to come. Now why does the Spirit need to come? Because Jesus is going. And when Jesus goes, the Spirit comes. When Jesus leaves, the Spirit comes to keep doing the work that Jesus once did. 
But they still don't get it in verse 6. When they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel now? And they're still thinking earthly kingdom. They're still thinking Jesus is going to do it all. I love verse 7. He says, not for you to know about times or periods the Father's set. Stop speculating about those things. But you have a God, you've got a job to do in verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's really the key verse for Acts. That these men and women are going to be witnesses for Christ. The people who saw the, the, the death, who saw the resurrection, who saw the ascension, they're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's really the structure of Acts. It begins chapters 1 to 7 in Jerusalem, uh, where the Jews hear about Jesus and many are saved. Uh, verses, chapters 8 to 12 are about Samaria, where the Samaritans hear about the gospel and many are saved. In chapters 13 to 28, you get the gospel going to Philippi and to Corinth and to Thessalonica and to Colossae and even to Rome. And Gentiles hear about Jesus and Gentiles believe and God grows his church. So in Acts chapter 1, you've got 120 people who believe in Jesus. That's about the number of people here tonight. We could be the first church. By the end of Acts, how many people believe? Thousands upon thousands of thousands of people, men and women, bound into Jesus. What's happened to them? People have gone and talked about Jesus. Simple as that. See, the heartbeat of God, he wants all people to be saved. He wants people in Sydney, in Parramatta, in New Zealand, in Africa, wherever you work, to hear about Jesus. I love this quote. A church that claims to be Christian, it has no concern to get the gospel beyond its doors. It's not a Christian church. A church that claims to be Christian but hasn't got a concern to see the gospel go out to the world is not a Christian church. God isn't, doesn't just want a holy huddle of people getting their theology right so they can explain every doctrinal truth in the Bible but having no concern for the lost out there. We've got a job to do. We've got people to save. In the book of Acts, there's just 22 direct words of God in the whole book. Words spoken by Jesus or by the Holy Spirit or by his angels. And out of those 22 direct words of God, 16 of them are all about mission. Reminders to the church to to keep reaching out to the ends of the earth. Because that's the heartbeat of God. As you read Acts, what do the first disciples preach they don't preach about pastoral care they don't preach about church structures and church governments what do they preach the risen ascended Lord Jesus Christ there's a church in London that is growing rapidly most of the churches are dying and the minister of that church went to a, what's called a diocesan meeting, and they said, look, what's your secret? How are you growing your church? And he said, uh, 
Oh, we preach Christ crucified. He said, but you've got hundreds of kids that come every Sunday. What, what do you do with your kids? We preach Christ crucified. But you've got people from the housing estates coming. I mean, are you just feeding them and giving them soup? No, no, we preach Christ crucified. How does God grow his church? By the proclamation of the good news of Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. I sometimes think the ascension is, is the missing link in most of our preaching. You know, we preach a lot about the cross. Without the cross, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, there'd be no certainty that death has been defeated. But what's at stake if there's no ascension? If Jesus wasn't ascended into heaven, he's not ruling, he's not reigning, he's not king. He's still earthly. That's why he says in verse 9, after he said this, Jesus was taken up. When you read that word taken up, please don't think some sort of, I don't know, a divine space shuttle going up into heaven. But Jesus was bodily taken up to the right hand of the Father. He's left earth. And while he was going, verse 10, the disciples are gazing into heaven. They're, they're sky scanning. They are stargazing, pondering. Where's he gone? And these angels, it's amazing how you've always got angels at the key events. The angel at the incarnation, the angels at the cross, the angel at the resurrection, the angel at the ascension. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven, he will come in the same way you've seen him going to heaven. He's saying, stop stressing about where he's gone. He's going to come again. But please don't spend your time on, on earth just pondering all these theological and Christological issues. You've got a job to do because there's people to win. And that's the heartbeat of God. He wants to see all nations bowing into Jesus. In London, there's a statue of a man called John Wesley. You might have heard of him. He wrote the, all the hymns like, And Can It Be? Underneath the statue, there's a great plaque, and it says this. The world was his parish. The world was his parish. And what that's saying is that, you know, God isn't concerned about parish boundaries. They're just man-made. Dare I say, God is, is even concerned about denominations. Who cares if you're Anglican or Baptist or Presbyterian? Who cares? But everywhere that John Wesley went, everybody he met, he just talked about Jesus. You know, there are approximately 10,000 people who live in Kiribati in our parish. Thousands of those do not yet know Jesus. We don't have to go anywhere. We can just stay here and be involved in God's mission. Over in Milson's Point on Alpha Street, almost every office block is being converted to residential units. Thousands of people moving into Milson's Point. And they're coming from mainland China, they're coming from Thailand, they're coming from Malaysia, they're coming from all over the world. We can rub shoulders with them, we can befriend them, and we get to talk about Jesus. So I want to ask you, is your heartbeat the same as God's? Do you have that missional heart? You want to see Jesus 
taken to the nations, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. My second point tonight is really simple. God's messengers. We've had God's mission. So who are God's messengers? Ian? Us. Who were the first messengers of this gospel? Look at verse 12. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives. They'd been there before. Last time they were at the Mount of Olives, they were sleeping because they couldn't be bothered to pray. And when they arrived at verse 13, they went to the room upstairs. It's probably the same room that they celebrated the Last Supper at. And there's Peter, there's John, there's James, there's Andrew, there's Philip, there's Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. And verse 14, there's the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They are the first messengers. Now let me ask you. How many of those men and women have a degree in theology? None. How many have done a PhD? How many have done a course on how to share your faith? How many have done two ways to live? How many have done evangelism explosion? How many have planted a church before? Who are they? A bunch of ordinary men and women. They're fishermen, they're tax collectors, they are uneducated men and women. But who are they? They're believers. That's what marks them out. They're believers in Jesus. They're people who believe that Jesus suffered and they believe that Jesus died. They believe that Jesus rose. They believe he ascended. And because of that belief, because of that belief, they just can't wait to share the gospel. Fearful? Yeah. Nervous? Yes. Anxious? Yes. Feeling inadequate? Of course they are. But they believe in Jesus. And they're the people that God starts with. This little church of 120 people. Did, did verse 15 shock you? During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers and he starts to lead the church. Uh, last time we saw Peter in the book of Luke, what was he doing? Denying Jesus. Saying, oh, I don't know him. What's happened to Peter? He believes. He has faith. And then the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And when the Spirit comes, he's empowered, he's emboldened, he's equipped to take the message out. You see, verse 8 is really important. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And then you will be my witnesses. You see, God's messengers are ordinary men, they're ordinary women. They're believers in Jesus, but most importantly, they are spirit-indwelt, spirit-empowered men and women. You see, please don't try and evangelize your friend with your clever arguments unless you've got the Spirit of God in you. Please don't think that you can go and conquer the world in your own strength without the Spirit of God in you. Please don't try and plant a church based on your strategy documents and your mission statements and your vision statements and getting the music right and getting the uh, lighting right and having the right dress sense. Oh, you could attract a crowd, but without the Spirit of God at work in you, it will just be a crowd. We want converted people, don't we?
See, what do we need to do this ministry? What do we need to win the nations? We need the Spirit of God, don't we? Because he's the one who strengthens us. He's the one who equips us. He's the one who empowers us. And these first disciples, these first missionaries, if you want, they were spirit-filled, prayerfully dependent people. See that in verse 14? All these were continually united in prayer. Same down in verse 23 and 24 when they've got to replace Judas. They need to have 12 apostles to fulfill the word of God. But Judas is gone. So what do they do? They find two men, one called Joseph, one called Matthias. They can't decide. They're both good people. And so verse 24, they prayed. They got on their knees and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all people. Just show us which of these two you've chosen. And the lot fell on Matthias. See, that's the mark of the missionary. That's the mark of the messenger, that we're prayerful because we're humble. We can't grow God's church in our own strength and by ourselves. We need him to grow it, don't we? But when he takes ordinary men and women who are spirit-empowered and prayerfully dependent, he does grow his church. The third mark of the messenger is that they're actually not frightened to suffer. They're not afraid of opposition. As you you read Acts, what happens to Peter when he preaches? Not everyone likes it. What happens to Stephen when he preaches in Acts chapter 6? He's stoned to death. What happens to Paul when he preaches? He is hated, he's persecuted. So what happens to you and I as we go about our lives trying to witness to our family and our friends? Not everyone's going to like it. I got a letter about this time last year from someone in our community. I'm going to paraphrase it, but it went something like this. Dear Church by the Bridge, I'm writing to let you know that I will never be coming to Cowers Under the Bridge ever again. I do not come to a Cowers service to hear Bible readings and talk about Jesus. Where was Rudolph? Where was Stanta? Where was Jingle Bells? In the future, I'm going to go to Cowers in the Domain. Yours sincerely. I was cheering. Because that's what we're about, isn't it? We're preaching Jesus unashamedly. What, what do we do at Cowers Under the Bridge next year? Bring in Santa, bring in Jingle Bells? No. We just keep preaching Jesus. Not everyone's going to like it. But I'll tell you what, God will grow his church. You see, Jesus is gone. The Spirit has come. Jesus will return. And we're sitting here at the ends of the earth. In Australia, at the ends of the earth. And we're on mission, aren't we? Remember, a Christian church that is not concerned to see the gospel go out the door. He's not a Christian church. I hope you're here tonight, seeing these empty seats and longing for and praying for people to fill these seats. I would love to have 10 services every Sunday with a church packed full of people. And I don't just mean filling a church with Christians looking for a new church. I'm talking about God filling these seats with unbelieving men and women who come to know Jesus Christ. Now, who are they going to be? We can't just rely on people walking through our doors every week. You know people, I know people who do not yet know Jesus. And we've got a job to do. 
in your way, with your personality, you'll, 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 you'll find the way, the best way to talk about Jesus. And then you pray. I tell you what, if you all did that, God would grow his church. Acts is such an exciting book. It starts with 120 people. It ends with thousands upon thousands of people bowing to Jesus. And we get to be part of that. So I'll ask you those two questions. Are you on board with God's mission? Jesus of the nations? We don't have to go. They come to us. And are you a spirit-empowered, prayerfully dependent, opposition-expecting man or woman who just wants to preach Christ crucified? If we are, let's go, shall we? See how God grows his church. Thanks, Linda. Let's pray. Father God, we want to praise you for people like Richard Johnson and Samuel Marsden and Hudson Taylor and all those extraordinary men and women who have gone to the ends of the earth to preach Christ crucified. We want to thank you for the, for the men and women who loved us enough to, to explain who Jesus was to us. And Lord, we, we stand here tonight and we, we acknowledge we are frail, we are weak, we often feel inadequate and we feel a failure. And you think, Lord, how can you bother with us? How could you use us on your mission? And yet, Lord, you do. I want to thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill this church, that you would flood this church with people who are bowing to Jesus for the very first time. And we pray, Lord, for revival. We pray for revival here in Kirbilly, that a loss will be found and many would come to know Christ. We ask that for Jesus' sake.